listening to Have the Conversation podcast, a podcast centered around mental health, wellness, and everything in between. I'm Kala. And I'm Leanne. We're sitting down with everyday people to talk about life and the lessons they've learned, all in an effort to connect and stay encouraged. Our guest this week found himself in a battle with his own mental health. Riddled with depression and anxiety, he decided that it was time to take matters into his own hands and learn to live damn well. Jorge is one of those people who is wise beyond his years. He's determined to chase the research and share it with anyone who will listen. We were so pumped to spend time with him and appreciate his knowledge that he shared. If you're struggling with depression and anxiety, we encourage you to seek the advice of a trusted professional and know that you're not alone. You can find a list of resources on our website and throughout our social media posts on Facebook and Instagram at Have the Combo. And to connect with Jorge, you can visit livedamwell.com. While you're there, be sure to grab a copy of his book, Return to Human. All right, on with the episode. So I finished your book last night, Return to Human. So good. What made you want to publish this? Yeah, so basically, as basically everyone else at the start of the pandemic, there's a lot of craziness going on. We didn't really know what to think about it. And uh, honestly, it was probably one of the most difficult times in my life and probably in a lot of other people's lives, just because, um, you know, that year in itself had already been pretty difficult for me. Um, in terms of mental health, it was um, a time when I, the first time I experienced like depression, um, a lot of anxiety. And so really what motivated me to write the book was I wanted to learn how to live life well, because I had already taken the decision to not remove myself from life, which is a decision that I was thinking about taking. And so I was like, okay, if I'm, if I'm not, because what ultimately motivated me to not do that was I'm going to leave a hole in the lives of my parents, my family. I can't do that. So that was removed from the equation. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this super well. I'm going to learn how to eat well. I'm going to learn how to uh, do proper exercise. And I'm going to share this with as many people as possible because in that moment, and it sounds really cliche, but I learned what are we, what are we living for? Why did I not take that decision in terms of everyone else in my life? I, I, if it was just for me, I wouldn't have kept on going, but it was for everyone else. So first of all, that took my priorities from myself to relationships. And so that's where it all began. Uh, it was a lot of, uh, of time of self-reflection and ultimately I wanted to understand what was going on. I wanted to empower people with their own health because it's obviously been a time that's been so difficult for everyone else. So that's, that's really where it all began. And it began as a 12 page document, um, which I was going to have like as a freebie for everyone on my website. So it started with that. And then I was like, Oh man, this is not going to be 12 pages. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of content to cover here. Right. Exactly. So uh, yeah, I kept on going from that 12 page document, 12 pages turned into 20, turned into 40, 50, and so on. And finally, I was like, okay, this is this is a book. This isn't an article at this point anymore. Um, and yeah, I, I kept on going with it. Uh, ever since I was four years old, I've been a competitive swimmer. So um, I have to stop right there. Leanne yeah. was a collegiate swimmer too. So you guys have yeah. a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. 
I was watching some of your YouTube videos, and yeah. when you said that, I was like, ah, we have something to talk about. Awesome, <laughs> yeah. Meet many, uh, many competitive swimmers were kind of a rarity, I feel. Yes. Oh, and so you know how, how painstaking the practices are, the schedule is. I still won't step in a pool. No. It's been 10 years. <laughs> me, me neither. I haven't stepped in a pool in a year. Yeah. So well, isn't that traumatic? Well, okay, I'll let you answer that question. <laughs> uh, I think it is... So swimming, and I was often, um, you know, not necessarily bullied, but teased because of, I was a swimmer when I was middle school and high school, because um, it's not like a manly sport, right? But what they didn't understand was six days out of the week, two practices per day, that meant two to four hours every single day, thousands and thousands of yards every single day or meters. In addition, you had two or three weight training sessions. You had abs, you had uh, we call dry lands. We were, yeah. so it, it is ridiculous. It is really the, the, I think is the hardest sport there is. And I can say that without a doubt and the most overtrained athletes that, that exist in my opinion. Um, I didn't know a single person without a shoulder injury, without a back injury, without a knee injury, something, because we were just overworking our joints. In high school, which is ridiculous school. to think about. Yeah. That's when you're supposed to be like, you know, your joints are in your prime. Oh, yeah. And girls were like losing their periods um, because yeah. it was just so stressful on their bodies. Yeah. I knew a lot of uh, friends that happened too. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like, cause I'm, I do personal training now. And so I try to stay on top of my, you know, health and, and fitness uh, information as well. And, and just knowing how overtrained we were and that it didn't have to be that way. And that honestly, it shouldn't have been that way. And we could have performed even better. It like, eats at me inside because I'm like oh if I had only like known or if my coaches had known maybe I wouldn't have you know gotten burnt out of the sport maybe I would have my times would have been better all these things could have been so different and and not only that but I don't know if you had this experience after college there's no like transition to real life like what is a healthy amount of working out to do like I all of us had to try and figure that out on our own. There was no information on that. Um, did you find that after, after swimming as well? Oh, absolutely. When I stopped swimming, I got back here and I was actually, um, most of my life, I've actually been pretty skinny. Well, once puberty hit, before that, I was pretty chubby guy. But uh, after that, I was really, really skinny and I couldn't put on weight. And that was something that my coaches told me over and over again. So uh, when I stopped swimming, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to build as much muscle as possible. And so I went radically from six hours of above aerobic training every single day to just doing strength training. And yeah, completely different because I had to figure out a completely different approach than what I was used to getting beat down every single day. I, I think you literally made the best move you possibly could have made though. Do you realize that? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. The best thing I could have done for my health. And it was the first time in my life in 15 years that I had actually given myself the opportunity to do what I wanted to do and also recover. I mean, I, as soon as I got back from school and I stopped swimming, first time I was able to sleep in um, because ever since I was in elementary school, it was, I can't stay over for a sleepover because I have a meet the next day at 6 a.m. That happened way too often. So it was, yeah. it was the first time that I got to catch up on sleep and I got to actually rest. And yeah, some of that came with um, a lot of mental health problems too. But it was ultimately, I think my body was just screaming for rest um, because as you know, um, coaches are 
swim coaches are incredibly good at beating down the kids. And um, especially for me in high school, that was the case. We were doing 10,000 yards a day, almost every single day. And yeah, they knew how to beat us up. I can't deny that, but they didn't know how to properly rest and recover. And that was also a big motivator for me getting into the nutrition space when I was 10 years old, because I wanted to know how can I better recover when some of my other competitors aren't worrying about their diet? How can I worry about it and get better as a result? Yeah, especially in high school, all the guys stop at McDonald's on the way to or from practice and just load up on, you know, just calories in general. There was no thought of like the quality of food. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's really where it began. My curiosity with nutrition. You, you mentioned a second ago that um, adding sleep to your schedule might've caused some depression. Did I get that right? Or no, it was more the fact that I was so go, go, go all the time, stress hormones through the roof that yes, I finally stopped and it, everything stopped. And it was like, Uh, it was like I was running and I just ran into a wall and I was just like, I have to stop now. It was burnt out, like typical, totally burnt out, uh, emotionally drained, physically burnt out. And it was the first time that I was able to say, wow, I I need this sleep. I I slept like 10 or more hours a day because I I needed it. My body needed it and needed to catch up on all those years, which I got poor sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And how old were you? during that time? Um, this was last year. So exactly one year ago, actually, when, Fresh, when I stopped. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, so I just, you talk about sleep and Cal, I'm sorry. I'm no, I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> you said the S word. <laughs> so I just read this book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Oh, He's a PhD him, that yeah. studies. Okay. I think you would love uh, just listening to, uh, to how you speak about science and your interest in neuroscience. It, it is like a sleep Bible. And he talks about how throughout our life cycle, like our circadian rhythms change. And so when you are a teenager into those early 20 years, we do require not only more sleep, but also we require to sleep later. And later into our sleep cycle is when our REM sleep happens. And there's so much good that goes into like the, the REM sleep process for our brains. Mm-hmm. And, and by waking up early, we literally, we, we cut that off and it affects brain development and so to have those like 5 6 a.m practices for for high schoolers it's it's doing a huge disservice not just to our bodies but to our brains also it's it's, it's horrible it's devastating it's, it's, yeah it is it, and you can't catch up on that like you might have been exhausted and so you were catching up on sleep just time wise but your our brains don't they say our brains can't catch up from it it's just kind of like every night is you get you get your eight hours or you don't and um it's it made me definitely prioritize my sleep a lot more oh definitely I mean uh, if you look at my favorite sleep researcher right now is Dr. Stasha Gomanak and she's actually discovered the link between vitamin d the microbiome and sleep um and so what she talks about is if you don't have because we we know that you need you know, these hormones that are involved with stress, but you also need these hormones and neurotransmitters that are involved with rest. And some of those come from vitamin D, from the B vitamins, which are made in the gut microbiome, actually, uh, if you have the proper diet. And so she talks about exactly that. If you don't have those resources, um, and if you put off those, um, 
repairs and regenerative processes in early in your life, your body keeps, uh, keeps a tally of that and says, okay, when I have the resources and when I have the time, I need to make these repairs. But if you're not giving it that time or those resources, it's just going to be put off and put off and put off. And so that's accelerated aging right there. That's a lack of um, uh, development right there. So that's, that's a huge problem. Does that play into the chronic illness diagnosis that so many of us are receiving because we're not taking that time to slow down and do that repair work? I think so. Um, I mean, with recent, I don't have the exact statistic, but I know that sleep, uh, another researcher, Dr. Joel Gould, by the way, that I interviewed on my podcast, uh, talked about how sleep apnea and um, is just so common. And even in people who aren't obese, um, sleep apnea is so common because again, vitamin D, vitamin D, I think it's something that we're going to be talking about a lot. Vitamin D is so important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you don't have vitamin D early in your life, especially when you're a kid, um, vitamin D and vitamin K helps to build your respiratory tract. And so if that doesn't get built up, you have trouble swallowing, you have trouble uh, breathing when you're asleep. And that leads to a lot of problems later in life, because if you're not oxygenating your brain while you're sleeping, you're essentially starving your brain of oxygen and nutrients that it needs. And so there's a super high prevalence of people with insomnia, um, sleep apnea, some form of that, whether it be diagnosed or undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And I know that because I personally, I woke up six, seven times every single night. I hated going to sleep when I was little because you consciously woke up. If you knew oh, yeah. you were waking up? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it would take me two hours on a good night to fall asleep. And so... Was that anxiety-driven? Part of that, yes. I also think it was because I didn't have enough vitamin D. I really think... I mean, we have over a billion people worldwide that are vitamin D deficient. And that's deficient, characterized as below 20 nanograms per milliliter. And we can get into that later on, but that's already a super low threshold. So probably way more people than that are deficient. And I think I was definitely one of those people. So I didn't have enough vitamin D. I was anxious probably because of that. Um, And so, yeah, I wasn't getting good sleep either. So how did you dig yourself kind of out of that hole of sleeping more, but being depressed and, and having the anxiety from that? Yeah. So the first thing I, I did, like I said, is I made this huge realization. All right, I'm making a decision. I'm not going to take this choice um, because of my parents, because of my friends, because of my family. So um, what I did then, I just dove into the research even more. I'm someone who, if I listen to someone on a podcast I will listen to three, four, five episodes on different podcasts and just listen to that one person say the same message in different words, and that'll stick in my head. And so I, I literally, no matter what I was doing, cleaning up around the house, uh, going on a walk, I was listening to interviews with researchers over and over and over again, um, because I'm not actually that good at school. I'd say like A. That's B, shocking either. to me. I don't believe I know. that. I would have never <laughs> believed believe that, that for a second. <laughs> Well, to rephrase, it's like, I don't put that much effort into school. Like I'm okay with B's and like A minuses. Like I don't really, 
I don't find it too interesting and I don't really like to pay that much attention in class. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it's partially because I don't get to learn what I want to learn and they take yeah. me on a certain path what, that I don't really care too much about, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really started researching what I wanted to research, the things that were relevant to my life, uh, my family's life and my friend's life. And that's how, that's how it began. Yeah. That's how I started to pull myself out of that hole. The decision that, all right, I'm going to do it for, for everyone else around me, if not for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to do it in the best way I know how. Um, and I'm going to go all in because it's not an option for me anymore. So then I started to see, okay, I started to dig into depression. What is depression? Why? And I compiled this huge list of researchers that I've been listening to since then. And obviously self-growth and digging myself out of that looks more like the stock market than it does a linear path. <laughs> yes, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's terrifying. And it's like, can be so demoralizing for people because we expect it to be this straight line where we're always constantly going up. And it's more like the line of best fit where you have that volatility, but it, the trend is going up. And so mm-hmm. I've had to remind myself of that too and uh, grow a lot of compassion for myself and uh, grow in that process. But uh, really those are the main things that I started to do. So where are some of your favorite places to get your information? You you do seem very well-informed and that's what kind of drew me and Kala to you. We knew you wanted, we wanted you on here because um, you know your stuff. And so (laughs) like, where, where do you learn it? Yeah. I mean, podcasts, interviews. uh, I mean, Honestly, you have a favorite, favorite podcast, um, Ben Greenfield fitness. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of the best ones. Um, he's so sciencey for me. Like I, that I I can't handle. So my first, have you heard of the the podcast mind pump? Yes. Yep. Okay. So my very first mind pump podcast, they had Ben Greenfield on and I was listening and my brain was just going on like, hyperdrive and I like I had a literal headache afterwards and I was like I can't listen to this anymore oh man yeah like, you have to grow into that but that I mean he is he's so science driven and and has so much information oh if you really want to get your mind blown you need to listen to uh Dr. Peter Atia's podcast The Drive it is how do you spell that Peter, Peter what Atia A-T-T-I-A it's okay. ridiculous that's actually now that I think about it, that's how I really launched my website is looking into the ketogenic diet, um, mm-hmm. high fat, low carb, medium protein. And that was one of the first articles I actually wrote on my website. And he is uh, mostly focused on nutrition. Um, he's a medical doctor. And yeah, I, oh my God, the first time I listened to one of his interviews, I couldn't, I, I got 15 minutes into it. They were talking about um, mTOR. They were talking about IGF-1. They were talking about all these like things that I had zero idea what they meant, even though I was already in college at that point, but I, I just couldn't do it. It's, it's literally yeah. like a podcast for other researchers. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. Like take deep breaths beforehand. Oh yeah, <laughs> no way. Yeah. You talk a little bit in the book about the different kind of fad diets, about veganism, um, all the way up to the carnivore diet. Talk to me a little bit about your, your findings in that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it began really, um, again, like I said, when I uh, started to research nutrition because I wanted to improve my performance as an athlete. And yeah. that's when I saw all of these different authorities in my life um, tell me, eat high carb, eat whole grains, drop the fat. Um, no animal protein, animal protein's bad. And I said, okay, good. 
perfect. I'll start here because that's what everyone's telling me. And mm -hmm. so I did. And uh -huh. like I said, my ego was on top of the world because I made <laughs> myself these giant shakes of uh, kale, spinach, whatever, all of these plants that I thought were good for me. And I would drink it and I would totally, oh my God, like this is where part, this is why I begin the book with blind belief, a puzzling concept, because I myself was so dogmatic. I, I took these beliefs, no matter how my body felt, I was like, I'm doing good for my body. And so I convinced myself of that for about a year or two until I started seeing I'm bloated all the time. I have indigestion. I have brain fog. I don't feel good. And that's where I started to shift the other way. But it took six, seven, eight years for me to actually see the other side because really um, reporting of a lot of science is, is usually one-sided. Right. That's and you talk that, about that too. You, yes. you laid everything out so well. I really <laughs> thoroughly like enjoyed every moment of this. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, I really shifted the other way, but it took me a long time because uh, I couldn't, there weren't that many news sources. Um, and I really, it came down to me trusting um, mm -hmm. my coaches, my, my trainers. And I said, okay, they know what's best. Uh, but clearly they didn't have all of the information. Um, so that's when I started to shift towards ketogenic diet. I tried that out for three months. And again, when I started it, oh, everything was great. The honeymoon phase is, is just as yeah. true with dieting. And I started that. I felt good. And then I realized, uh-oh, I'm losing five pounds. I'm losing five more pounds. And it got to the point where I was, I'm 6'2", and I got down to like 150 pounds. And oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So, so it was... It was man, it, it was not a good thing for me because I was never hungry. That was already something I had a problem with. Um, so do you think that was because of swimming? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, you were swimming at the time you were playing with your diet? Yes. I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really good for me either. Also with, I've been looking into ancestry and, and things like genetics and they have a lot to do with how you handle things like fats or carbohydrates and how your body releases enzymes to digest those things and uh you know i'm I, my parents are mexican like three four generations mexican some cuban some spain so it really isn't the the i i really don't think that i do that well on a you know ketogenic diet and that's mm -hmm. uh, again i really think that's mostly for those northern european climates uh where you know let's look back a thousand years when agriculture wasn't invented what did they eat meat fat yeah that was pretty much it and they had to survive off of that and i think that's why the ketogenic diet actually isn't a fad uh, i think that it's good for certain people i don't think it's good for everyone and i don't think it's good all the time but mm -hmm. all of these things it took me doing them to learn that it they don't work and you require context and i can't dig myself into a hole of all right now i'm you know keto.com because if i do that then i'm literally preventing myself from growing as as a researcher as a person you make me so happy with those comments sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but those are the realizations that i made and um you know i i've also noticed that there's oh man like you you look at each one of these people these groups um these communities out there and you become so convinced carnivore diet is good all the time or, Oh wait, no, 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 no. Vegans are good all the time. 
And it really, I see now why it's so confusing and is anything but straightforward when you're looking into the world of nutrition and health, because there are people who just want to hold on to something because it's, it seems like it's safe and secure. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys have taken uh, the Myers-Briggs personality test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm very high in openness. So new ideas. Uh, and that's the beginning of my book is, is really, I talk about that. I'm so open to new ideas and that's a double-edged sword because to me, I'm so open to new ideas. It's sometimes, sometimes I have trouble, uh, you know, choosing one thing and sticking with it. And, but I do think it's a valuable trait because mm-hmm. if you're not open to new ideas, um, you're stuck and, and you're stuck and you're bringing down other people with you. And that's the problem that I see in the health space today too. Well, especially with diet, because it's true. Like a lot of these they, people, they put themselves in a box and it becomes, it becomes like a religion. Like it's a belief and, and that comes with a refusal to look at the facts and the science and to listen to their bodies. I mean, I've heard stories about people who are very famous on social media for being vegan, vegan X, vegan athlete X, Y, Z, and needing to eat meat because they've had so many issues that they've gone to the doctor and, and they've had to hide it. Um, And just the, that alone, that scenario just sounds so insane, but that's, I mean, I found that even in terms of like exercise, there's a lot of yogis, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if you're a yogi, you're a yogi and that's, that is the exercise and everyone needs to be a yogi and same with like bodybuilders. It's like that on a different scale. And it's, it's all about uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, just being open and, and trying new things because the second you put yourself in a box, that's you do, you stunt your growth. Um, and, and then you're unwilling to learn and evolve. Absolutely. And that's our word of the year is evolve. Yes. <laughs> Very important thing. Oh, and, and don't get me wrong. It feels comfortable, but it's, yeah. you can't grow. Yeah. A big theme throughout your book was intuition um, and really just connecting with yourself. In the research that you did when you were compiling this, what, what made that want to be such a focus? Um, well, because I think science, I actually did a post on that yesterday. Science is, is not infallible like a lot of people think it is. It's, there's conflicts of interest. Um, researchers are pressured to produce results uh it's it's really um people need to see that science isn't everything because science is becoming like this dogmatic thing where that's not what science is science is constantly changing science yeah that seems to be everybody's you know rationale for everything listen to the science it's like oh yeah what science are you talking about you can't i mean i'm guilty of that i'm not gonna lie me me too i think (laughs) everyone is but um, I think it's realizing that we you can't rely so much on science and you need this this aspect of common sense yeah, to go along with the science because uh, I don't know if, if you've seen a recent article come out about eggs, egg consumption being linked to diabetes where five years ago it said egg consumption helps with blood sugar control. So you also see this with uh, Time Magazine article on cholesterol 30 years ago that was vilifying cholesterol and then yeah, the good and the bad cholesterol. And 30 years later, it says butter is good. Why the scientists got it wrong. So <laughs> like you really have to, to take science with a grain of salt. It's not perfect. You, you need to know that intuition matters, which is why um, 
I think people need to get back in touch with, with uh, the subjective um, because science is all about the objective, all about measuring your lipids, your biomarkers. But, but what about the subjective feelings after you eat something? Um, there are things which scientists don't even know to look for. I mean, if you look at an apple, you could go on nutritionfacts.org and see vitamin C, fiber, pectin, whatever. But that's only because science literally only searches for what they want to look for. What if there are other things that you don't even know to look for? So that's my thing. I, I think that our intellect is great. Humans are smart, but I think that there's something deeper that we have been neglecting and that's come to bite us in the ass. And we're, we're uh, heading towards that sixth major extinction event. We're already in the middle of it. I mean, that freaks me out when, <laughs> yeah. what is that? Yeah, it's so basically it's uh, declining biodiversity. We've already seen in the past few decades, I think 50% of all species have gone extinct. And um, it's just going on that upward path because we've forgotten that we're an ecosystem. Human health is environmental health. Uh, you know, all of these things. And, and this is where I think, you know, ancient societies knew this. Ancient traditions knew this. They knew that we, this concept of interconnectedness was a thing. It wasn't just some woo-woo concept. It's mm -hmm. like, go in front of a tree and see for yourself. You breathe out, it breathes in. It breathes out, you breathe in. That is nature. And we've poisoned nature with pesticides and glyphosate and air pollution and I mean, just look at the pandemic. If you look at the numbers, over 90% of people had at least one comorbidity. The average is two. Um, and that's ridiculous. We're poisoning the planet and we don't realize that we're poisoning ourselves. Um, and so I think these ancient traditions didn't have science as we know it. They didn't have these tools. So how could they possibly know? all of these things? How do they know meditation was so good for you? How do they know that nutrition was at the core of human health? How do they know that fasting could be a powerful therapy? How do they know to, to soak, ferment, and sprout foods to enhance their uh, digestibility? Like, that's incredible to me. And I think it, it comes with a certain level of um, humility. It mm -hmm. comes with intuition and being observant. And I think as a species, that's where we need to move towards. So what are what are ways that you found to help guide you back to your intuition? Meditation. Although I have uh, fallen off of that bandwagon more times than I can count. Um, we all do. Yeah. Join the club. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and part of it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because as it starts working, I, I wrote about it a little bit in my book, as it starts working, you think, oh, it's working. I feel good. I don't need to do it anymore. It's like, no, mm -hmm. that's why it's working because you're doing it. Right. But yeah, I think that's been a really powerful thing. Um, Do you one, use any apps? Or? Yes, actually Headspace. Um, oh, there's a few other ones. Smiling Mind, 10% Happier. Uh, those are three that are really good. Um, yeah, but really meditation, I think, is, is super powerful. I think it's so cool that you are your age and talking about all of these things because, I mean, in general, the mainstream information we get is, is incorrect. Um, and so I think there's a lot of going out of your comfort zone that comes with finding the correct information. And there's a lot of time and research and energy that goes into finding the right information. And it gives me a lot of hope that 
I, I hate saying this because it makes me feel so freaking old, but like people your age are, are doing stuff like this and, and um, prioritizing things like meditation and seeing the benefits. It just like gives me so much hope for like the generations to come. You know what I mean? I think it, yeah, part of it came out of necessity, definitely. Um, yeah, because like I said, I struggled with, with a lot of, uh, you know, mental health problems and um, family members that I know and friends have had like serious autoimmune issues. So uh, yeah, that's really where it stemmed from. But I, I think you're right. I think adolescents, I was actually talking about this with a few of my friends the other day is I think adolescents are really one of the most looked down upon, um, you know, group of people ever. And I think that's, that's totally clear. I mean, we have the top three causes of death is suicide in adolescence. Like, why is that? It's not just physiological. It's also psychological. It's like, how are we treating these adolescents? We're treating them like they, all they like to do is party. They have no utility until they're like 21 or 22. It's like, yeah, that takes a toll. It makes, it makes a lot of people feel worthless and useless. And so they have to resort to drugs or alcohol, which is a huge part of what college even is. Um, so yeah, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. What classes are you taking right now that you're just like, that are like lighting you up, that you're learning a lot from? Um, I'm actually taking a gap year this year, but- um, that's, yeah, so, that's a life lesson in itself right there. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Like if I would have known that there were other options, I would have taken it right out of high school, but I kind of just did what everyone else did because I didn't have a better sure. option. Um, but this year was the perfect opportunity Um for me to do that and to learn what I wanted to learn and uh, and do what I wanted to do. Um, But I think the most important classes were uh, neuroscience, um, epigenetics, an epigenetics class I took was fascinating. That's so fascinating. Is it not? Yes, absolutely. Oh, that changed my life. Oh, me too. Me too. When I first learned about this, this idea of transgenerational epigenetics, where what you do in your life will translate over to Uh, are your kids going to be more likely to be addicted? Are your Mm -hmm. kids going to be more likely to be obese? Uh, And not just your kids, your grandkids. So that's powerful because if you know that information and aren't willing to take the responsibility to take your health into your own hands, Mm -hmm. that says a lot about me as a person, because uh, after learning that I couldn't go and go to parties and do whatever stupid things that other people did. I, I couldn't. It haunts you almost, doesn't it? Like, yes. <laughs> once yes. you kind of like learn these things, but there was such healing in it for me. Did you find that too? Yes. After a while. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did. of course. There's that, that graph again. <laughs> after the weight kind of dissipates yes. a little bit. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It, it made me very much hopeful for the future. Mm-hmm. It made me very, um, because you never know if you're going to, you know, you're going to go out in the street and you're going to die today or tomorrow. Um, and that gives a lot of people this idea that, oh, I'm not going to take responsibility. I could, you know, life it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, but it does, because if that doesn't happen, then you're not just creating suffering for yourself. Suffering for yourself is suffering for everyone around you. Suffering for yourself is and not taking responsibility is suffering for your kids and your grandkids. So it made me have more of an, have more meaning. And that's ultimately, I think what a lot of people are after meaning in their lives. And that's something that I think science has kind of taken that away from us because uh, this arrogant idea that science knows everything and it doesn't. 
Um, but yeah, it's given me a lot of meaning really and goals for the future. Yeah, that's awesome. I've got a lot of clients that come to me that, you know, are overweight. Obviously they're looking to get in shape and, um, they'll tell me like they, they will blame it on their genetics. Oh, you know, my parents were overweight and this, and, and they get that information from their doctors. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it's, it's a complete crutch because, it's taken in a way that, oh, well, even if I tried to do something about it, it probably wouldn't have a huge effect. And so why try? Um, I just think it's crazy that you can go one direction or the other, you know? And so I think learning about epigenetics is, like you said, very empowering. Um, because especially when you think of it in terms of generational, like I never really thought of that. Um, but if what you're doing right now can impact your kids, like then why wouldn't you why wouldn't you do it? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think uh, that's part of the model, right? That's part of the medical model is mm. blaming it on genetics. Because if you blame it on genetics, then there's nothing you can do. Oh, but who has the solution? A pharmaceutical. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's partially why, I mean, from, from the researchers, from the doctors that I've interviewed on my podcast, uh, still now you only get five eight hours of total nutrition time. If you're lucky in, in uh, medical school, that's nowhere near enough time. Uh, but what do they get training on? How to use pharmaceuticals to treat, well, to manage symptoms. That's it. That's terrifying. <laughs> it is. And there's still, like people will ask for nutrition advice from their doctors thinking that it's a reliable source. Um, and then knowing about it's because some medical schools have zero yes. nutrition class. Many so, of them. Yeah. Yeah. I am curious um, when you did feel in a very dark place, what gave you the patience to try meditation and nutrition as actual options? Because I know that when you do feel down and vulnerable, you just want to feel better. And sometimes it's hard to put effort into something that doesn't change things right away i think the realization that um, um it wasn't going to be instant but i think the underlying thing was um you know i'm going to do whatever it takes because uh, i care more at, at that point i cared way more about the suffering of the my friends and my family than i did about my own so it was really just like and it was actually like that for, for a lot of my life. I'm, I was always like a really empathetic person. Like when I was a kid and I watched movies, like every time somebody cried, I would always cry. Um, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. So my son, I have a son that's like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, but you have to guard that. You really do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's really where it came from. And don't get me wrong. It wasn't like I was patient. There were times where I, like, I wanted to give up. Uh, like a, a lot. And I would just, you know, stay in my room. I, there was a period of time where I like even completely stopped exercising, um, stopped eating. Um, but ultimately it came down to, okay, the motivator is not you anymore. Um, it's, it's the people around you. And that was a, that was a powerful motivator for me. Did they have any insight in on your bad days? Like how were they towards you? Did they notice or was it more of just an internal struggle that you really feel like you had to get on top I of? I think there's probably only one or two people in my life that actually knew what was going on. 
um, just my friends, one or two of my friends were the only people that actually knew what was going on. But even then I didn't give them too much of what, what was going on because I didn't want to, I didn't want to scare them. I didn't want to put that on them. them all that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I definitely didn't talk about it with, with my parents, um, until months later, um, when I was, How was feeling that? better. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. It was, it was really tough. Um, I mean, they, they weren't shocked because they, they saw me. I mean, they would see me at, at the dinner table, just not talking, um, just doing, doing really the bare minimum, not, uh, you know, not walking outside, um, not talking with my friends. Um, and actually even preceding that I was actually pushing a lot of my friends out of, of my life. Like, um, I'm sorry. No, please. Because, you know, subconsciously, I think I was, I was doing that because, <clears throat> you know, when you're, when you're alone and you don't feel good, um, you don't want to be around people. Um, right. And I've, I've found that in a lot of people in my life, you just, you, you, you want to separate yourself. You, you, don't want to be around around other people and and that's how I was and I didn't realize that because I came out very very dogmatic very extremist when all of this started happening and I was like oh this is all bullshit like uh, if only people were healthier this wouldn't be a problem like oh I'm I'm not gonna I unlocked the answer (laughs) yes yes. it was like I know what's happening Uh, the government is stupid like you know (laughs) essentially that's that's where I was but it wasn't because I actually but that's not uncommon no but it wasn't because I actually believed that to be the case I I truly if I if I were honest with myself at that point I didn't know what was going on but I Mm. wanted to know I, I wanted a reason and I wanted an excuse to push people out and I found that excuse through, and I actually, I, I did lose a lot of friends from that, uh, which some of which I have recovered and even strengthened. But um, in that time, I was, I was, there was a bit of superiority complex driven by an inferiority complex. And it was like, I knew everything. Uh, this whole COVID thing isn't like you think it is. I know what it is. You don't. And by doing that, yeah, of course I pushed people out, but it wasn't really because I wanted to, it was because I was feeling so shitty myself. There's this quote that I, I like that is, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And that's where I was at that time. And, um, you know, thankfully people in my life cared a lot about me and they didn't, they didn't give up on me. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And I do think too that you're not alone in that lesson of, I think all of us have gone through a point where you discover new information that you are so excited about and you realize, oh my God, like this could be so different. I was wrong this whole time. This is it. (laughs) Yeah, because you learned this new thing, that is the treasure and and you know it and you want to share it with everybody. I remember when I first... I grew up not religious at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, my mom was Catholic. And so she grew up in the Catholic church and um, kind of got turned away from that. So we didn't really grow up in like in any sort of church atmosphere or really any much talk about spirituality in general. 
Um, but I remember one of my boyfriends at the time started taking me to church and I learned about God and um, how he cares about me. And I, I was in a very dark place at the time too. And I didn't think much of myself or what my life could do for people. I, I just didn't really feel empowered um, in that way. But to know that like God had a plan for me, I wanted to become like an evangelist. I wanted to tell everyone, like, have you heard about God? Like, I was like 23 telling people like, okay. doing Bible infomercials on your social yeah. media. <laughs> but then, you know, I, I learned more and more and, and I'm back to not going to church. I'm, I, I have my own spirituality, but, um, but I did that unlocked something for me, but it took years for me to realize that that wasn't the answer for, for, especially not for everyone else, but not even for me. And it's humbling. Yes, absolutely. And that goes back to what we were saying. Um, I think there is a big part of, part of me that was like, wanted to scream all of this from the rooftop. Like, are you kidding me? Like, do you not see what's going on? But again, it's, it's, I guess I had to be there in order to understand why I should go back there. Um, I had to become this really dogmatic person in order to see that's not the way to go Uh because I was destroying relationships. I was destroying myself in the process. And that's a young age to even know that like there are people and there are so many people that, I mean, I feel like most of us are dogmatic about something, you know, there are a lot of people that are dogmatic about every single part of, of their life and maybe not even know why, but they don't want to look into it, you know? So I, I do. You're right. I think you had to, you had to be there to know that that's not the answer. Yeah. And I'm glad your curiosity kind of came back. Cause you said that you were very curious from a young age and I'm sure when you're in that deep spot, that's not there. You're just looking for a reason to kind of, to stay away from, like you said, everything, just really hold whatever you're going through close to your heart. So I think that that's really cool that you went to the root cause as uncomfortable as that was. And you found your curiosity again. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think it was actually, now that you mentioned it, I was, when I was in that, in that mental space, I actually thought I had everything mapped out, which is weird because there was no other point in my life when I was like, like, Oh, I know what's going on. And it was so, it was so weird because I can think back to how I was feeling then and what I was thinking about. And it was like, life is meaningless. Life is worthless. There's no point to me being here. And it was so set in my mind. It was like, that was the rationale. It was, fact. It was yeah. fact. It was fact. And the curiosity kind of went away until I started, uh, you know, kind of forcing myself to seek out other opinions and look to philosophers. And there was actually, I was in a class called uh, philosophy of religion at that time, um, which is actually incredible how life happens like that, because it was exactly what I needed to read at that time. And it Trust was talking about, timing. I say it all the time. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, this dude went through exactly the same thing that I went through, except him in like his 40s or 50s. But he talked about exactly the thought processes that I was having. And I thought and thought to myself, I'm not alone. And if I'm not alone, and other people have gotten through it, that means I can get through it, too. Yeah, yeah. So powerful. Oh, that's a beautiful message. And I do feel like that is somebody looking out for you, yes. you know, to be able to hear that exactly when you needed it. Absolutely. So when did you start Live Damn Well? So, was it through this process? Yeah, no, I actually started two years ago. Um, okay. 
And I became very quickly disillusioned with it because I think in my mind, I had this expectation like, oh, I'm going to write my first article. Thousands of people are going to be flocking to I'm going to be so famous. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting to go viral yeah, too. Sorry. <laughs> we, we're, like, we're just going to try to be consistent. Oh, yeah. consistency. Yeah. yeah, so so important. And it's something I didn't emphasize back then. I was just like, because uh, it was actually really- mistakes, we all make them. Yeah, it was a it was a big task for me to um, because at the beginning I didn't know much about nutrition. I was still on that whole grains, meat bad, fat bad kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. That's where I came from, and it was a big undertaking because the first articles, like I said, were about all about the ketogenic diet. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea why it wouldn't clog your arteries and kill you. So it took me so long just to get that first article off the ground. It took me weeks just to write that first article. Um, and so, you know, that was a big reason why I got this illusion. But yeah, it started two years ago. It was on and off. I wrote like five articles in a period of one and a half years. So yeah, yeah. But I, this, this recent year is when I started taking things more seriously and I started my podcast. Um, I started to get, you know, trained to be a health coach. So who are you doing that through? Primal Health Coach. Do you know um, Mark Sisson? He's the, the yeah. founder of, yeah. So he's the founder of um, uh, Mark's Daily Apple is his blog. Um, uh, he also has a brand called Primal Kitchen, which yeah. is- uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's who I'm doing it from. Oh, that's so cool. And it's a program he has? Yes, online? it's, uh, okay. it's uh, I'm not sure exactly how many weeks. It's like around five-ish months. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what what are you covering? Because like a wellness coach, that's, I mean, that's intense. That's everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I started with, uh, with nutrition. It's really like kind of an evolutionary biology approach to, to health, which is, um, you know, kind of exactly what I wanted. I didn't want I didn't want more of the same crap that I was being told over and over again from, um, you know, a lot of doctors that I went to coaches, I didn't want that same thing, because clearly, there's more to the story. So um, yeah, we started with an evolutionary approach to health, um, uh, to diet, to exercise, because, um, you know, I think part of the reason people fall off their New Year's resolution in terms of exercise so quickly is because they overdo it. And there's this idea of no pain, no gain. And as swimmers, we know that all too well. Um, <laughs> ingrained into my brain. Totally ingrained <laughs> into our brains, right? Um, but it, it gave me this evolutionary framework, which is, okay, these hunter-gatherers aren't just putting aside two hours or one hour of every day to go all in. And then they sit back and eat potato chips for the rest of the day. They're not doing that. They're actually... Uh, doing something called like intermittent exercise. They're working all day. And obviously most people aren't going to be able to do that, but finding a way to not overdo it, because at the end of the day, if you're doing one or two hours of chronic cardio a day, which is, was a swimmer, that's exactly what it is. You're taxing the body and you're making more likely to, you know, overeat, have weight gain. Uh, I mean, you're screwing with your hunger hormones um, stress hormones. And so, yeah, all of it, all of that came from, all right, how do we live what I like to call an ancestrally modern lifestyle? Because we're not going to go and live in the woods. Like people aren't going to do that. We love comfort too much. So, okay. How can we take some of those traits that we learned from 
our ancestors and even looking at modern hunter-gatherers um, today, how can we take what they're doing and apply it to our modern life? So that's really what it centers around. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You talked a lot too about like um, how those hunter-gatherers really in the seasonal eating and the local eating and why that's so important. Can you talk a little bit about that for the people that are going to be listening to this? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at some of the populations that are super well studied um, in Northern Tanzania and Africa, um, they eat with the seasons, which is to me, it was such a foreign concept, right? Because mm -hmm. now January, I can go to Whole Foods and buy a mango but there's yeah, snow yeah. on the ground. Like, what the hell is that about? But I can so do that. Yeah. Um, and I think people are so disconnected from what nature is actually like now that we don't even think twice. At least in my experience, I didn't think twice. I was like seasonal eating. Like, what is, what is that? I just eat what's in the grocery store, whatever you want, because that's what's available. Um, but I started realizing like, wait, maybe it's, it, it isn't some trivial thing that you can't find mangoes in the dead of winter in Michigan. Maybe it's part of how we're supposed to eat. And you see that with these modern hunter-gatherer populations where it's a dry season, you're not going to find fruits and a lot of carbohydrates. What are they eating? They're mostly eating meat and fat. I mean, they're drinking the blood of animals. They're drinking dairy. Um, that's how you survive. It's, it's a survival game. It's not about you know preference. And, and that's where the whole vegan argument falls apart. It's like, okay, put a vegan in the middle of winter in the wild, they're not going to survive eating plants. And they're probably going to die because plants are poisonous too. I mean, you got to know what you're looking for, right? So yeah, so true. Yeah. And that, the plants are dead. It's winter. Yes, exactly. Plants are dead. You're, it's not looking good for you. Plants are dead. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. Have you done any research on the blood type diet? Or have no, you heard of, it was like a fad in like late 90s oh, early 2000s, yes. I think. I, I heard about it. Yeah. And it was kind of like eat right for your blood type. And I fell victim to that too. <laughs> um, yeah. I just was curious if you had heard of that or if you had looked into that. I heard I about it, but I honestly, I didn't really look. No, that's okay. That's okay. I was just, I was just curious. Um, I'm a positive. And so it's very um, like vegetarian-esque, mm -hmm. you know, lean, lean proteins. But, um, and then O was like all meat and my husband and I are A and O and so it's just funny because we both gravitate naturally towards those things for ourselves um but I didn't know if he's literally doing carnivore right he is all well he's falling off really. don't tell his friends <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that out <laughs> no, it's all good um no I think it, it comes back down to also again that intuition what we were talking about and just listening to your body and knowing what's working and what's not and I think a lot of it too is just kind of being kind to yourself when maybe you do make a poor choice or a choice that you know isn't going to necessarily benefit your body. Um, yeah, it, it's it's all those things. So what have you found is like your healthy balance or relationship with food right now for you? So I would actually recommend a book called uh, The Yoga of Eating by Charles Eisenstein. Um, and it's this, again, I think we get so caught up in norms like, oh, you yeah, have, to, we have eat. to do this to be healthy yes. or whatever. You have to totally. eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, mm -hmm. because that's how it is. Uh, and to me, I think it's also for a lot of people, we don't even think, am I hungry? Uh, and right. also, am I hungry for this? And also, how do I feel after I've just eaten this? We don't stop because um, food is secondary to busyness, achievement, success. 
Um, and sure, that's gotten this far, but it's also met we have a really weird toxic relationship with food. Um, so I think intuitive eating is, is super important because sure, you could go and get a blood test. What does your DNA say about how you should eat? You can get some good insights from that. But one, not everyone has the means to get expensive blood testing done. Um, and also, you, can, you don't have to do that. You can learn a lot about yourself by doing a food journal, seeing, okay, I went through this day of eating. How do I feel the next day? How was my sleep? How was my stomach? Uh, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Um, all of these subjective things that are just as important as the objective things, I think. And that's really where I started changing my relationship with food because when I was a swimmer, I didn't actually talk about this. When I was a swimmer, I would stuff my face all the time because I just couldn't get enough calories in. And I kept losing weight no matter what I was doing. And so it was an unhealthy obsession with always eating until I'm past full. And that became a habit um, with all swimmers that I know, um, especially the guys, because they all were, you know, as guys are, they all want to build muscle. So they're all even way more into overeating yeah so mm -hmm. so yeah changing my relationship with food going towards intuitive eating which meant intermittent fasting which then led to uh and experimenting with high fat and then experimenting with higher carb and doing all of these things based off of intuition and not this false belief in my head that that's how things should be and that is such a process too because like you said for most people like a lot of people probably can't even remember the last time they were actually hungry. And it wasn't just their brain saying like, you should eat now or you should eat popcorn. And, you yes. know, I think the, what you said about food journaling is key because a lot of people are stuck in not their bodies telling them anything. It's their brain saying, I want Sonic for lunch, you know? Um, so to go from that mindset mindset to, intuitive eating wouldn't work essentially you need some kind of accountability you need it on paper yeah yeah exactly so really see what right it's doing. right and we we tend to live above the neck you know yeah. we we tend to live only with our minds and we think yeah that's humanity humanity that's what separates us we're smart but i think we've overdone it um, mm -hmm. and we've overdone it with food. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me when I was going, uh, through my, uh, you know, different phases of nutrition. Uh, it was all my mind telling me what to do, but my body didn't like it, but I wasn't listening to my body cause I wasn't having it. Yeah. You're, you can convince yourself of anything, right? Yes. Real. Yeah. Real. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so true. I want to ask one more thing though, because I don't want to totally shit on swimming. Swimming has like <laughs> taught me some very valuable lessons yes. for my life as well. So, so what are some good things that, that swimming has contributed to your life? Discipline, such a high level of discipline, like a ridiculous level of discipline to the point where, you know, I would get home from swimming two a days and I would still find the time after homework to foam roll, to stretch to lacrosse ball on my shoulders, even though it hurt. Um, yeah, discipline. If you, if you don't have discipline, you, unless you're incredibly talented, you don't make it very far. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Discipline is a huge piece. Um, being able to, I mean, for better or worse, working through a lot of pain, physical pain. 
Um, and mental too, I imagine, for real. Right. Staring at the bottom of a pool for four hours a day oh, isn't man. the most mentally yeah. sound thing. Yes. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'd actually argue there's a lot of uh, not so healthy behaviors that it led me to do. But speaking about the positives, yeah, I was able to um, put aside a lot of, uh, you know, poor outcomes. Um, and yeah, discipline, mindset, mental toughness, all of that all of that I learned from swimming. Yeah. I think for years I was almost angry at the sport itself and, and my coaches for, for putting me through. I mean, essentially it was my decision. I put myself through it as well, but, but learning and, and expanding my knowledge on fitness and knowing it didn't have to be that way. I, I kind of only saw the negatives, but yeah, discipline for sure. I mean, I tell people like some of my clients when they, they found out that I swam, I, I, I tell them like every morning now that I don't have to wake up. And the first thing is jump in freezing cold water. Like I'm having a pretty good day yes. so far. So definitely some perspective there for me as well, but it, it took a while for me to, to want to see it, I guess you could definitely. Say. And I think another piece of it was the community piece. Um, mm-hmm. Just that was probably the biggest thing that actually kept me in the sport for as long as it did, because um, you know, in, in a first world nation, we don't have, that many problems, um, you know, so, and actually in, in times of crisis, people do tend to band together. Um, and I think <laughs> crisis was hard practices. That was our <laughs> struggle. Those were our struggles and we all did them together and that allowed us to form bonds. We didn't have to talk, you know, it, it wasn't from talking. It was from having this shared, extremely painful experience that, created bonds which I mean those were my friends like I those were really like from school I didn't have that many friends it was from swimming that I had lifelong friends um, because of this shared struggle that we all did towards a common goal you still keep in touch with those friends even though you're done with the sport uh some of them some of them yeah 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 I guess some of them are still living it, so they probably don't have time to <laughs> right. keep in touch with anyone. <laughs> right. I mean, a lot of them did go to to other schools, but um, yeah, I definitely still, every once in a while, I'll talk to them and um, yeah, still keep in contact. Yeah. My very best friend in the whole world. We never even went to the same school. It was just, we swam together since we were 12 and, and yep, that was, She's that still was there. it. still <laughs> there. Well, it has been such an honor to sit and hang out with you. I'm, is it weird to say I'm proud of you? I'm proud of the work yeah. that you're doing, but I am. That's like the mom in me who's just like, yeah. yes, keep going. I'm, I'm excited for what this gap year is going to mean for you and for your continued research. And you have to write another book because you did such a good job compiling all that information. It was really digestible and just great. I went highlighter crazy. So I was thank really, you. that's thank always you. a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, thank you guys for having me. You guys are great hosts. I've been on like three or four other ones, and this has definitely by far been the best one. Oh wow! Oh, thank all you right, so we've much. got our we've got our highlight clip. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, so thank you. Thank you. All right, that's yeah. awesome. Um, real quick though, we want everyone to be able to find you. Why don't you plug your site, your podcast, and anywhere anybody can connect with you, please? Yeah, so my website is uh, livedamwell.com. Um, I actually have a, a freebie that people can download. It's chapter, um, the first real piece of the book, which is um, Immune Health Begins in the Mind, which is just teaching you in, in these times of like high anxiety, high stress, 
just a bunch of tools that you can have in your arsenal when you inevitably do have times when you're feeling super stressed out and it's all cheap or completely free. So uh, yeah, I'd urge you to go there, download that. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. That's really where I'm the most active at live.dam.well. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I also have a podcast too that you can check out. And that's Live Damn Well as well, yes. right? Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HTC community. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo and click around on our links to find ways that you can get involved. And don't forget, all February long, you can join us at 8.15 a.m. on Thursdays for coffee and conversations on Instagram Live. Talk soon.